I was I wanted to ask you this question. What do you find yourself focusing on right now? All right, we've been in a series called Focus, and uh, if you're watching online, go ahead and put it in the chat. What is something that you're focused on? And every single week, we've intentionally asked this question because it allows us to just stop and process for just a second. What am I focused on? And what is occupying, when I say focus, I'm talking about really occupying your heart and your mind. What are you really kind of, kind of processing and living in right now? In fact, if you're at Otis or if you're in our Barker campus, go ahead and tell somebody. If you're at home, just say it out loud. You know, tell somebody, what are you focused on even right now? Uh, I know for me and in, in my household, it's school, right? School getting started. And I know some of you, that means online. For some of you, that means on-site. For some of you, that's a hybrid. You know, this past week, you know, I was reminded of the absolute importance of focus. See, I was on a, a bike ride, and if you've ever gone biking, especially with some friends, you know, there's a couple things that you need to know when you're on these bike rides. You need to make sure that you're focused on the road. You also need to make sure you're focused on other people on bikes around you. If you get too distracted by who or what is walking or running on the side, it's very easily easy to get in an accident. And so I actually pulled out my phone as I was uh, biking. Not a good suggestion. And so I actually wanted to show you uh, what I experienced and how I lost my focus. So go ahead and take a look at your screens now. Who would have thought ostriches are in Spokane Valley? I mean, it's crazy, you know, uh, for that to actually take place. So, uh, you know, I'll let you decide if that was me or somebody else. See, we've been in the series, and we've been trying to say over and over and over, because it's so easy to get distracted about crazy things that are going on in our world. Absolutely insane things, like seeing an ostrich while you're riding a bike, okay? That's about as insane as the world we're living in right now. We will focus either on our mission or we're going to focus on our misery. Now, let me remind you once again, our mission is to focus on being and making disciples of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's told us what our mission should be. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this past week, we had our vision night. Uh, were any of you guys here at Vision Night? Raise your hands there. Put it in the chat. If you were there at Vision Night, raise your hand at Otis. It was absolutely amazing as we got a chance to look back and celebrate what God has done this past year in our mission of being and making disciples. Now, we have a discipleship process. We've been kind of preaching through that of A, B, C, D, to accept Christ, to belong in relationship with other people with Jesus at the center to contribute time, talents, and treasures, what Tyler talked about last week. Didn't Tyler do a great job? You know, if you think you did a good job in the chat, put amen, Tyler. Love to see that. And this week, we're going to talk about the disciple and what that looks like. But we also presented a new logo, okay? And, and if you were not here, many have asked, why? What in the world is this thing about? See, I want to explain something to you that we thought was critically important during the season, because you might be like, what kind of church do I go to? We got all this crazy stuff going on in the world, and you guys are focused on a logo? Talk about being tone deaf to what's really going on in society, right? But here's what we got to start thinking. I was reading in the Old Testament, 
And oftentimes in the most difficult and painful situations and circumstances, God told the nation of Israel he was going to do something or he did something or he promised them something. And more often than not, what they would do is they would set up these memorials, these stones of remembrance. And as people would walk by in later day or year, they would look upon these stones and remember, I remember what God did. I remember what God, did, God said. When it was hard and was difficult, I remember, and I need to share that with other people. So I started thinking, you know, during our season and our time, what is our stone of remembrance? Do I just actually go grab stones and hand them out to people? And no, that would not be a good idea for anybody. And so we started thinking, well, what could that be? And then all of a sudden it hit me, in our society, logos. Okay, logos remind you of things. If you see a swoosh, you are reminded of what Nike is and what Nike stands for. If you see a, 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 a you know, uh, what are those called? Golden archers. Couldn't, couldn't think of that. Then all of a sudden you just think of McDonald's. So our hope is that when you see this logo, it reminds you and reminds us that God is with us. Because here's what this logo represents. It's representing the for where we live in. It's the valley that God has created and placed us here for such a time as this. It's a V that represents valley real life, that we are the church, that together, whether you're online, you're at Otis, you're at Freeman, or you're here at Barker, that together we have a unique mission that God has called us to actually follow through with. But most importantly, this V represents our victory in Jesus. That every time you start thinking, when things get down and hard and difficult, my prayer is that wherever you see this, inside, more importantly, outside these walls, that you are reminded instantly of the victory we have in Jesus. Now, I've had some people say, well, Dan, where's the cross? See, here's what you don't understand. There is a cross that is leaning over in our logo on purpose. And if you know church history, the, the, the cross that is leaned over is actually historically represented of the victory we have because of the resurrection of Christ. See, a straight up and down cross reminds us of Jesus on the cross, but when the cross is laid traditionally in Christian history on its side, as you see reflected in the logo, it represents the victory over death itself. Amen? This is the victory that we have in Jesus. This is why we think during such a time as this, that this logo is important for us to rally around, to focus on, not because the logo is anything, but what it reminds us of, helps us to focus in the midst of everything that we're going through. So as we focus on the mission of Jesus, which is to be and make disciples, some people ask, well, what is a disciple? That word literally in the Greek, if you were to translate it into English, means two words, a doing learner. A doing learner, not just somebody who sits and is educated, but actually someone who does and learns at the same time. Like, for example, uh, how many of you guys have ever played within the last couple years, Simon Says? Okay, we're going to do this right now. If you're watching online, you're watching at Otis, are you here? All right, ready? Simon Says, hands up. Okay, Simon Says, right hand down. Simon Says, left hand down. Simon Says, right hand up. Left hand up. Oh, some of you are out because Simon didn't say left hand up. And we could go on and on and on because you get it. If Simon says you do it, then you do it. No questions asked. It's like follow the leader. Yeah, you might have played that, you know, when you were in elementary school. Whatever the leader does, you're supposed to do as well. Those of you Star Wars fans, this is like a Jedi and a Padawan right? The Padawan even calls Jedi master, 
Whatever Jedi says, Padawan is supposed to do, whether they agree with it or not, or my personal favorite, the Karate Kid. Okay, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son, right? When they enter into this arrangement, if you go back and watch the movie, here's what is said. I, Mr. Miyagi, promise you that I will teach you karate. Your job is to do what I say. Deal, 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 deal. Okay, wash the cars. But no, 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 no questions asked. Whatever I say you do, our promise is to help you become a karate champion. In the same way, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's hard for us sometimes as Americans to swallow. We want to make him our savior, but Jesus isn't asking for that. He's asking us to be Lord in his life. And I hope that makes sense because it'll help you understand what took place in the Bible. Like, let me give you an example. One day, Jesus is walking along early in his ministry along the sea and the shore of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus comes to them and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now to an American mindset, this next verse makes no sense. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. A little farther up on the shore, he saw two brothers. And he said to them, to James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. He called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their dad behind. Peace, right? That's not how us as Americans think, right? Because Americans think if Jesus says, hey, come follow me, we're like, okay, wait, 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 Jesus, I got a couple questions. Uh, first, uh, where are we going? Uh, how long is it going to get there? Uh, how much of myself do I need to adjust to my schedule? Because I got things planned on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Will I be back in time to go on my vacation that I've been planning for two or three years? That's the way an American Christian thinks. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, I promise I will disciple you. Your job is to listen and obey, to be a learner as I submit to the authority and leadership of Jesus. See, he says in Matthew 4, 19, specifically these words, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, in the invitation is the literal definition of what it means to follow Jesus. And by the way, that word men is a Greek word, anthropoi, what actually means men or women. So he's not just talking about men, you know, in a gender sense. So a disciple is someone first who follows Jesus. And the invitation is the definition. Now, it's not the only other time that God called people to do this. In fact, the first time when God says, you know what, I'm going to pick a people to represent me. He discovers this guy, this guy named Abram. Uh, Abram decided that he was going to be a, a worshiper of a lot of different things and a lot of different gods. In fact, that's kind of what his business was, was actually to make sculptures and images into gods that he would sell them. That's the family business. Well, one day God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Notice this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. A few verses later, so Abram departed the Lord as the Lord had instructed. That's crazy to be like, wait a minute. He did not even tell Abram where he was going. He didn't say, this is where it's going to happen. This is how I'm going to lead you. This is the challenge you're going to face. Abram said, you know what? He said it. I'm going to follow it. 
So in the invitation is the definition of what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which is to follow Jesus. Second, you notice he says, and I will make. In other words, this takes the pressure off. You and I are changed by Jesus. We are changed by him. He will do the changing if we follow him. He grows us by and through his spirit. In fact, in our high school and and middle school camps that we had this last week, this was the emphasis to understand who the Holy Spirit is, how to depend on the Holy Spirit, and allow the Holy Spirit to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Um, One of the most famous passages about the Holy Spirit uh, comes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And this is what it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Okay, this is what the Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who produces the fruit, me or God? God does. But why is it, especially as Americans, that we wake up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm just going to try harder today to love more. I'm going to will myself to be more patient. I'm going to be more kind, goodness, for goodness sake, for faithfulness. Today is going to be the day. Now, at some effort, you will get somewhere, but to get fruit, you actually don't focus on fruit. Ask any farmer. To get apples, I don't focus on apples. I focus on what I need to do with the tree that will help produce apples. We are the tree. God is the one that produces the fruit in us and through us. So our job is to spend time with God. Our job is to be in these settings on a regular basis. Our job is to submit ourselves, surrender ourselves to the Spirit's leading in our life on a regular basis. So Jesus says, disciple is one who follows him, who's changed by him. And then lastly, he says, and I will make you fishers of men. So he says that we need to be on mission for Jesus, on mission for him. That's to reach out and to disciple others as I myself am a doing learner for him. I want you to understand that the best place, the best environment for you and I to grow and to become a disciple of Jesus is when we focus on Christ-centered relationships. We focus in real relationships. It's a we and God relationship in Christianity, not a me and God religion. In fact, this is the mark of what Jesus says is going to be evidence or proof that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to know what it is? You want to know how you know, how you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Wait, wait, Jesus, I thought it was my expression and worship. I thought it was me raising my hands. That proves to you I'm a, I'm a disciple. He goes, no, no, that's great. I want the praises of my people. But Jesus, I thought it was, I thought it was uh, uh, serving other people. He goes, no, 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 that's good. You know, I, I really want to see you do that as well. He says, but the proof to the world that you are really my followers is going to be demonstrated in how you love one another. Here's the hard part. People irritate the crud out of me. And they do as you as well, right? People are hard to love. Look in the mirror. I'm hard to love. Ask my wife, ask my kids, you know, ask people on staff. It's hard to love other people, which is why Jesus says, you know what? You can serve other people. You can worship me. You can do all those things. And I want you to do those things. Those are going to help you grow to become like me. But you want to know the real evidence of whether you're my disciple is going to be how you deal with imperfect people. 
Because that's the way that I, Jesus said, love you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men and women will know you're my followers, demonstrated by your love for one another. So let me be absolutely clear because we have bought into a different kind of discipleship in the American church culturally over the last probably couple decades. Let me be clear. Education of God's word does not equal transformation. It just doesn't. Matthew 28, verse 20 says these words. After Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do I do this, Jesus? How do I make disciples? Teach them. Yep, there's education. Yep, that's true. We need to educate them to obey all the commands that I've given to you. So it's not just teaching. That's important. It's teaching to obedience. Not information, but obedience. So here's the formula. If you're looking for a formula of what it means to conform and be transformed to the image of God, here it is. Education plus application equals transformation. Education plus application. When we begin to apply it, all of a sudden now we begin to be transformed. In fact, this is what Jesus said. Greatest sermon he ever preached. Sermon on the Mount. He gets to the end. He says, hey, you know what? As we wrap things up today, people, thank you for, for joining my service today. And Jesus stands before everybody and says, hey, one last thing. Those who hear my words and put them into practice are ones who build their lives on a rock. So that when a pandemic hits, when ep- economic uncertainty takes place, when political unrest, when social unrest begins to take in your country and in your life, you are standing on a firm foundation. What's the difference? He says, those who hear my words and put them into practice, not if the storms come, but when they come. So are we standing firm in him? See, if you've been around here for a while, I did not found this church. It's not my church anyway. It's Jesus' church. But before me, there was another lead pastor. His name was Nathan Rector. And Nathan Rector had a common phrase that he would use when he was discussing something like this. So I'm going to attribute it to him. He says these words, we are educated far greater than our level of obedience. Those of you guys who are here, you remember him saying that time and time and time again. In fact, one of my favorite New Testament stories, you know, takes place with this great understanding of the importance of these relational environments and education beyond our level of obedience. Peter and John, you know, these fishermen, these guys, they're walking up to a temple to pray. And as they get to the temple to pray, they see this guy that's begging because he's crippled. He's been crippled from, since birth. And so they say, you know what? Uh, I know what I can. I don't have any money for you, but why don't I just give you something a little bit better? Why don't you stand up and walk? So the guy literally stands up and walks. And he walks right into a place they was not allowed to be in before because of his infirmity. And he's jumping and praising God. Well, obviously a crowd starts. He says, all right, we recognize this guy. What the heck's going on? Peter begins to preach. Now, the religious leaders of the day said, mm-mm, this is not a good thing. So they huddled together. The next day, they call Peter and John in, and they call them on the carpet, and they say, you know what? By whose authority, and why are you doing this? But then they notice that Peter has incredible courage, and he's speaking with an amazing amount of authority. And we pick up in Acts 4, verse 13, it says, when they saw, the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, and notice this, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The transformation takes place 
when we spend time with Jesus. We don't do it in isolation. We do it together. And it doesn't matter your education level. That's not what it's always worried about. They stood back and like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've been to all the seminaries. We've been to all the education. But there's something about these two. What is it? Oh, yeah, they've been with Jesus. And they noticed that they were different. In fact, you know this. Do you want to transform a life? <laughs> parents, raise your hand. Parents here? Parents, if you're a parent on the chat, raise your hand in your Otis. Okay, so parents, here's what we know. We need to teach our kids. But here's a foundational truth. We teach what we know, but we only reproduce who we are. Okay? We teach what we know, but we only reproduce who we are. In order to become and make disciples in relational environments, we have to spend time with people, and the time that we spend with people is what rubs off in that relationship, and the reproduction begins to take place, which is how Jesus set it up. In fact, one of my favorite passages is in Titus chapter 2. It talks to both men and it talks to women. So here's, here's it starts. Because after you use Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. So we're, we're model this. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Then he says, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. How in the world are they going to know that what he is teaching lives up to the billing. He says over and over and over, you've got to be in relationship with these guys for this to happen, which is why I'm so excited about Jeremy and our men's ministry, so excited about the things that are being started and the ways that guys can get involved and connect with other guys on this journey in so many different ways to learn, to grow. That's where you're going to become most like Jesus. And then he hits the ladies. Verse two, similarly, Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. <laughs> I don't know why that always strikes me funny, but he's talking about, all right, you know, guys, you do this, but older ladies, you know, watch the little alcohol, you know. And I start thinking, I'm like, well, if you were around kids that much, it might drive you to drinking too. All right. Instead, they should teach others what is good. Sorry, it always kills me. I'm like, really, Paul? You know, um, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Now, let me be clear. I don't need emails, ladies. Do not overread what the Bible is not saying. The Bible is not saying you can't work. The Bible is not saying you have to stay in the home. The Bible is not saying that your husband should not submit to you. The Bible is not saying don't read what is not being said. In fact, if you have a submission issue, you need to look at Ephesians 5.21 and it settles the whole issue. Because it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then we walk through the whole passage. So don't go too far. That's what we do. We kind of fill in the blanks with that. The concept here is that the older women in their faith teach younger women in their faith on what it means to be a woman of faith, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we do this in relationship. In fact, I don't want to just tell you about this because I'm not a lady. We have some phenomenal ladies who are doing some amazing things, and you need to see for yourself how God is using ladies to impact other ladies in and through our church. 
So go ahead and check this out. We've been a part of a study called Flourish, and it's an opportunity to be in the Word daily and then once a month get together and discuss what God's taught us. It's an intimate study. You know, it's, it's an opportunity to be real and vulnerable and transparent. It's a safe place where you can come and bring your awkward questions and you're not gonna be judged for that. Um, and it's just a place where I want women to feel loved and valued and safe. For a lot of years going into Bible studies, I, I really just wanted to know God better. I wanted to understand the Bible better, but I think there was just this element of feeling like I had to put on a mask because I didn't know very much. And so sometimes I would show up to those groups and I wouldn't engage as much because I didn't want to look dumb or I was afraid to kind of let some of the things that I was struggling with out because I was afraid if people really knew what was going on inside that, um, it would be a game over um, in terms of being a part of the group. Even being asked to lead, I had uh, had some hesitancy. Uh, the Lord had worked um, through some of my shame that I had from my past and thinking that I couldn't be used by God. I was following the ABCDs of VRL and I've been going there for about six years and kind of going through that checklist. I'm a doer, so. Um, I was like, well, what's next? What's next? I just thought I needed a little polishing and I'd be ready to go. And uh, I met Donna and she was wonderful. She was warm and welcoming and um, brought me into her home. Understanding discipleship and how, um, well, Jesus was the best example for us and trying to model what that looked like from his life. We drew closer to him through that process and drew closer to each other. It was really difficult to be vulnerable and real and raw with these women who were just strangers to me. And Donna really helped to grow that as a discipler. We battle a lot of the same things more than we realize. I think it's really easy to look on the outside of someone else's life and think that they've got things more pieced together than you do. But when you allow yourself to open up and really share what's going on in the inside, you realize you're really not alone in that struggle. When you're all gathered together for one goal, and that is to, to learn more about Jesus, to dive deeper, there is something so rich about that experience that can't be replaced by anything else. And, and, and if you're brave enough to either lead one of these groups or be a part of one of these groups, you're gonna experience something that you've probably never experienced in your life. I would say to not let our current situation hold you back from being discipled or even stepping into a discipleship role in leading other women. There is so much, so much opportunity, and right now especially with people probably feeling isolated, we need to reach out to people and, and include them in our lives and be willing to disciple others through this uh, uncertain time. Praise God for that. Love it. It's just a microcosm of what's taking place all across this church. You know, of people discipling others. I know I'm, even in youth ministry on uh, Sunday evenings, you know, Thursday evenings, you've got leaders, you know, we're discipling young men and young women in the faith. This is what it's supposed to look like. Understand this, nothing about relational discipleship is fast and easy. It's hard. 
Uh, Jesus modeled this, and he was the best there ever was, and he had some issues with his followers. Just a couple, one who betrayed him even up to the end. It's hard, but it's the right way. It's the right thing to do. And so as we close, here's what I want you to think of for just a second. Who has impacted your life spiritually? If you're watching online, go ahead and put that person in the chat. And what did they do? What did they do? Think about the things that they did in your life, intentionally, specifically, to encourage, to come alongside, to enter into the mess of your life. Very rarely will you remember a sermon that was preached 10, 15 years ago, but you will always remember the person who is Jesus to you in that moment of need. And God has called us to enter in these relationships to be a learner, to be one that does for Jesus. As we have been received, as we receive, we want to give that to other people. So your next step is a question. What is it in this discipleship process of being and making a disciple of him? Maybe for some of you, this is the time at Otis or online to accept Christ. Put it in the chat. Go to the cross, you know, at Barker. Go to the cross at Otis and say, you know what? I'm ready to say Jesus is not just my Savior. I want to make him Lord and get baptized in him. Maybe for some of you, it's to get involved in a small group. I to say, you know what? I have kind of gone to the Sunday thing or the Thursday thing for a while, but I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get in, in relationships with other people, even though it might be scary and hard and difficult. Maybe for some of you, it's to start serving as Tyler talked about last week. Start giving because you know when you trust God more with your time, talents, and treasures, the one who benefits the most is you. So many opportunities. But like we always say, the choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today, for the understanding of what it means to be a disciple. One who follows you, is changed by you, and is on mission with and for you. God, I just pray that you would impress upon our hearts by your spirit, whether at Otis or online or at Barker right here, right now, that you would just lead us and guide us. What is our next step? We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.